Hey everybody, Steve here, Local Level Podcast. I'm sitting here with Holly Connors, founding agent of At Properties and managing partner of Get Burbed. You can check her out at getburbed.com. Uh, since 2015, she's been a top volume earner, meaning she sells over 30 million annually, uh, Northwest Suburban Real Estate. So there's some other things here that I can cite off, but you can check it out online. Uh, suffice it to say that she's an amazing real estate agent <laughs> And uh, we're here to hear her story. So thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is very cool. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I've been doing this all day. I've had coffee, a Red Bull. So I'm over caffeinated. Good. So we'll Smells see like Red Bull in here. We'll Definitely. see where it takes us. Good. We'll see where it takes us. So we'll start it off the way that I said. You told me you were a nerd for the market. I am a nerd. It's true. <laughs> it's true. So, I mean, like, why is having a deep understanding of the market and the trends so important to what you do? So I believe firmly that real estate is math based. I don't believe in emotional purchases in that way. It's for most people, their largest purchase they'll ever make in their career or in their life. So making that decision based on an emotional feeling, I think is inappropriate, quite frankly. Irresponsible. Yeah. So the decision has to be based on math. What are the market trends? What's happening with absorption rate? What does month supply of inventory look like? What, is, what do the comps look like over not just six months, but 24 months or five years? What are the schools like? Is this a voucher program? Do the schools feed from the location? There's so many moving parts that it's really important that you know the big picture. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, besides the obvious, I mean, you have to know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, you know, you're, people are looking for an authority. Yeah. Um, if, they're, if they're buying or selling anything. You know, so you have, you know, all these stats. I read all this stuff on your website. I mean, it's, it's, you're at the top of the top, you know? So yeah. how did you get there? What, what are the qualities in somebody that, that does what you do that, that allows you to, to be so far ahead of the other people? Figuring out how to fail well. <laughs> Good answer. Right? So yeah. not just failing with the intent to fail, but failing with the intent to try and realizing your mistakes. Yeah. Um, I fail way more than I succeed. And I think taking those failures and turning them into something positive is why I am where I am. Um, you know, I started this business thinking that this could be emotional and I could bond with my clients and all of those mm -hmm. great emotional things would be fabulous. We'd sing Kumbaya and, you know, we'd hug it out. Right. And that does still happen. That's definitely still a part of my business. But I think knowing the math, knowing how this transaction actually happens and the nitty gritty yeah. boring details are incredibly impactful to how I am where I am. Yeah. Well, those are the things that people want an authority yeah. for. Yeah. You know? sure. So, so that's, uh, that makes perfect sense to me. It's like hiring a dentist to deliver a baby sort of like you want a realtor <laughs> who knows how to sell real estate or how to help you buy. Yeah. You don't really need a dentist to deliver a baby. It's close. Still a doctor, not quite the right situation wrong though. letters yeah wrong right. letters yeah <laughs> um so i mean being being a uh, having your finger on the pulse yeah uh, with the market and everything like that and my, yeah. the question that i want to know is what do you see the market uh, how, how do you see the market in the next three years yeah um i think that's a really complicated question because we're in an election year and election years from a cycle perspective are really unpredictable yeah um well, let me clarify that Traditionally, after the first four years of a president in the last several elections, we can assume that that president will maintain their position. Mm -hmm. I think the 
this particular election is going to be questionable at best. So we're unsure of what's going to happen. Consumer confidence yeah. isn't as its height. So how do we move forward and what is the market going to look like? I'm predicting somewhat of a leveling out. The market is still moving. There is still real estate that is selling. People do need to buy and sell property. But I think we're going to see a shift in um, decision making and how those decisions are being made. I think it's going to be very much based on how the younger group, younger than me, um, maybe in their 30s or 20s, they make decisions with so much more research involved and everything so accessible to them yeah. that they don't need um, somebody to tell them what the Case-Shiller Index looks like. They can research it and understand it themselves. And then they need someone to explain in a deeper way how that impacts them in the future. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like... Uh for somebody that knows nothing about real estate, mm -hmm. okay, and I'm coming into this uh, this relationship with you know trying to find uh, a real estate agent that's going to kind of suit me and all that. How, how do you explain all this stuff in a way that is understandable? I you think, know, bit, like you know, the elephant one bite at a time. How does that work? <laughs> so you have to understand the client first. So you have to know what the client likes, what they don't like, what makes them happy, what do they do for a living, where's their yeah. knowledge base. How much do they know about the market? Mm -hmm. Those pieces are going to help me create a strategy on how we converse about the market. Do you understand what absorption rate means? Do you understand what inventory means? Um, do you know what you want in a house? What are your five-year goals, your seven-year goals, your 10-year goals? Because if you come to me and say, I want to buy a house, my first question is going to be, great. What kind of house do you want? Right. And is this a five, 10 or 20 year decision? You might think it's a 20 year decision, but I have to prepare you for a five year decision. The, the idea that a consumer is going to stay there for 30 years, it's not a thing anymore. So explaining these things to the consumer so that they have a full knowledge helps them make the best decision for them. Gotcha. Yeah. Understanding your customer. You just have to know. Yeah. So what, what's the process? I mean, you know, a lot of times, because I've been in sales, uh, sometimes when you over explain things, you turn people yeah, off. It's boring. You know, so it's, boring. it's like it's just information overload. They're not even with you anymore. And um, uh, when you have so many moving parts, there's so many different parts of the real estate process. When somebody's a first time home buyer, sure, they're going on Google, whatever. They're looking at all these different things. Information overload. By yeah. the time they get to you, yeah. what are the things that you do to simplify the process for them, but at the same time demonstrating that you do know what you're talking about and you're reliable? Yeah. What, what, how does that work? So demonstrating that I know what I'm talking about, I think, comes with just working together. I mean, having basic conversation like this, it yeah. just happens. When you go to see 15 houses in a row, it's very mm -hmm. easy for me to point out specifically in this hyper-local market what does galvanized plumbing mean? It's a very easy conversation. What does that, how does that impact you? Do you want an overhead sewer? Um, the, the reality of dumbing down, I don't like that. I think most people are very smart and they just need a little bit of education to understand. Yeah. Uh, so if we go see a property, for example, that is a four bedroom, three bath with a two car garage, but it's in a neighborhood where the schools don't necessarily have the financial structure that the yeah. neighboring town has, we need to have a conversation about that. What does that mean for you from an ROI perspective in the future? What mm -hmm. is your return there? I, that's where the consumer has to make that decision. Got it. So, I mean, you're, you're an ad, I mean, you're a salesperson, but you're also an advocate. 
I think that's why I am where I am is because I don't believe that my job is to sell the consumer something. I really don't. I believe my responsibility is to give the buyer the best piece of information they have. They can I can possibly give them. I think on the seller side, when representing a seller, my job is to turn that home into a product that's very sellable. Yeah. There's two sides to that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one of the most powerful sales techniques is having them make the decision for themselves. It's, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. So, you know, I mean, you, talking somebody into buying a 30 year commitment is pretty rough. And it's um, not worth it to me. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's, that's interesting. And, I, you know, this has been coming up all day uh, how sales translates into successful business, you know, even when you're not doing sales. Um, yeah. Sales is, really just about selling yourself and being genuine and sincere. Yeah. So, um, you know, tell me a little bit about your background because it's, it's safe to say you, you know, you're good at what you do, whether that's good <laughs> at you. good at sales <laughs> or just being a genuine person. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think that is? And, and how did you get that ability? Would you say what experience? Well, uh, I think there's a lot of different things we could talk about. I think for me as a professional, I, went to college, I had a really good time and maybe too good of a time, decided to become a flight attendant sitting on my Auntie Carol's couch one day, (laughs) um, deciding what I'm going to do with my life. And like Seinfeld, what do you like to do? I like baseball. I like movies. I like travel. She said, okay, all right, you should be a flight attendant. So I applied everywhere I could possibly apply to be a flight attendant. I got hired by a large local Chicago company and, um, decided to apply to be what's called a purser. That's the first flight attendant. So became the first flight attendant, flew internationally all over the world, had a great time. Yeah. 9-11 happened and I was what's called furlough in the airline industry or laid off. Yeah. Um, got a job working at a hardware store selling paint. Wow, um, that's a big shift. The market had shifted. There was no income. You I was on my own. Money. You had to make money. Yeah. Um, met a guy. He bought a house a condo in the city in Lincoln Park. Mm-hmm. I saw what the agent did, what the realtor did, how she interacted, and I felt like I could do the job better. Wow. So I went out and got a real estate license, found an ad on Craigslist for two guys looking for a real estate assistant. Um, they were getting ready to leave one brokerage and start a new brokerage. They hired me pretty quickly, same day. Just green, you didn't go No idea, no nothing. clue what I was doing, no idea. Hadn't even taken my state exam yet. Just, just took off the class. Of charisma. Uh, they hired me, and uh, that's the end of the story. I've been with App Properties ever since. It's almost twenty years. Well, that's the beginning of the story. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. That's uh, that's really interesting. I mean, I don't I don't know how many how many times that happens where somebody's starting a business and they hire somebody that doesn't know anything. You know, just yeah. off of charisma. Yeah. You know, so, there had to be something there that was like an innate thing that they saw. I think when I go back and I ask them, why did you hire me? What what, what were you thinking? Yeah, I was right. like, I was a 20 year old idiot living in the city with no money and no background. Right. What what was, you know, their, their response is I had a personality and I wasn't afraid. And I think fear yeah. is what prohibited a lot of the applicants from getting yeah. the job. Mm-hmm. I'm just not afraid. Right. What it just, uh, what I get is just confidence. Yeah, maybe. You know? I mean, I suppose, but I'm I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to try new things. I'm I'm more interested in trying new things and making a yeah. mistake than I am anything else. Well, that's like uh, this. I've never done a podcast before. First time for everything. How's it going? 
It's, it's going okay. It's going great. Well, they'll tell us. How's it going? Is it going okay? <laughs> I think it's going great. And um, I mean, you. This is this is just like anything. We're just having a conversation. Um, you know, you brought up nine eleven. Yeah. And you know, working in the airline, that's pretty scary. Yeah. Um, a lot of scary things happen. You know, after that, particularly uh, five years after that, two thousand six. Yeah. Um, there was a lot building up to that. There's a lot, you know, uh, politics behind it and, you know, shady practices with the banks and, you know, mortgages and all that stuff. Can you give us a little bit of um, a breakdown of, because you were in this. Yeah, I you was. Know, you were in this when it actually happened. I was. I figure that what I, what I see is like Wall Street, everybody's running around screaming. But, <laughs> so like, but what, what was it like leading up to it? What were the indicators? Did people take it seriously? Uh, are things like that happening now? Yeah. Uh, and uh, how did how did you survive it? Okay, that's there's a lot of questions in there. A lot of things. I left it open. For okay, you. so when I started in real estate, it was a very level playing field. There was enough business for everybody. Everybody right. was very smooth. There wasn't a lot of complications. Everything was was pretty standard. Um, I'm trying to find the right word. Everything was very um, just level, I guess, is the best word. Yeah. Then 2005, you could write a deal on a napkin at a bar Mm -hmm. and you could sell that napkin for $20,000 to somebody else. Subprime lending and all that stuff. Not quite subprime, but we were assigning contracts and reselling them. It was almost like selling short in a way, how you sell short stocks. Um, and we're making great money doing this. And, and it was, it was a very fast moving environment. And this is all around the time that cell phones and all these things were sort of happening at the same time. Um, if anyone can remember a Blackberry, that was a thing then. Oh yeah. So then uh, the end of 2005, right around November, you could feel the market sort of shift. And, And I don't like using feeling in real estate, but you could sense a little hesitation slightly. Things were taking a little longer. Yeah, market times improved maybe two, three days, um, which isn't significant, but at that point, two or three days would make eight or 9% of more market time. That's a big number. Mm -hmm. So we would see the shift slightly. Then summer came and the market picked right back up again. And like like a drop of a hat, the market just stopped. It was the end of 2006, it stopped. 2007, it, it really didn't move at all. Um, I can comfortably tell you in 2007, I probably did three deals, yeah. which is not many. Um, and, and it was very, very slow. And that was when I decided, okay, it's 2007, the market's going to improve. I'm very glass half full. Yeah. It's going to get better. So now I need to position myself so when it gets better, we're ready. Mm-hmm. So I left the city. I was living in the city at the time, moved to the suburbs, um, had a couple of kids and um, the market improved as expected because it always does. It's very cyclical. Yeah. Uh, And here we are. Here we are. So that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's the story. (laughs) No, but uh, so, I mean, you laid it out a timeline, but let's let's dive a little deeper. Sure. Because, you know. I mean, I guess looking back on it, we can say, okay, this is what did it. You know, in hindsight, there's like, you know, people giving giving away loans and the banks being lenient with everything. You can just do it over and over, whatever. A lot of scammers out there, too. Yes. Um, And, uh, you know, specifically with you, were you 
around people that were doing shady things? Yeah, so there were a couple different strange things that were happening. There was a particular appraiser that was nicknamed Stretch Armstrong, and if you needed a favor, he would show up. I, I, I've always felt very much that if you are upfront and honest with people, that you'll get that back in return, whether it's yeah. immediate or in the long term. There were things like that that happened, and they happened all over the city, and and they were pretty repetitive. Subprime yeah. lending was a thing. Getting a loan for somebody that was a B or C credit risk was yeah. very simple. Um, there's a famous story about a woman who was a school bus driver making $8 an hour who was able to buy a house for $800,000. And that, yeah. that story is still very alive and well in real estate. She has since been foreclosed on and has started over, but... There's no reason for someone making $8 an hour to get a loan for $800,000. The math just doesn't work, right? right? So um, that happened a lot. And when you started to see those things over and over again in 2006 and 2005, you could sense, you could, your, your just wherewithal as a human was clear that something was going to happen. Yeah. So you know, we personally started selling our properties. We knew it was coming. We knew we were going to be at the top and it couldn't stretch much farther. Do you think that that was like part of it where you saw something and then there was just a big sell off? So it just collapsed and collapsed and collapsed more. Or do you think that was part of it at all? Or am I on the wrong track? uh, I think there's a lot of theories on what really happened for me. And in the Chicago market, what happened in my world was subprime lending stopped. So the buyer pool that's at the bottom of a pyramid that was pushing everybody up could no longer get a loan. So no one could be pushed up anymore. There wasn't any more real estate to be traded because Mm -hmm. the people at the bottom of 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 the market just couldn't move everyone else north. It just wasn't possible. Well, also, you know, a lot of those, those companies that, that, Gave those like uh, Washington Mutual. Yeah, Wamu. Yeah. yeah, I mean they they if you look at the the you know the charts is like overnight they're just done done yeah over with. and they were like the ones that gave away almost all of that loan. You know, if you look at how the money is actually funded and where the money actually comes from, subprime lending is just a very questionable. Um, What's well, giving loans to people that, that shouldn't get them? Pretty much. And, and I don't know if I agree with shouldn't because sometimes someone had something horrible happen and they maybe deserve a loan because their personal situation is very unusual. Sure. Right. Okay. But the no doc loans or um, it's not just subprime lending. No doc meant no documents. You didn't need to provide no anything. whatsoever. Yeah. Just a name and a social and you got a loan. You're approved. So, yeah. And there are things like that that existed for people that are self-employed mm-hmm. that can prove that they have income, but income to a company that they own. Right. Those programs don't exist anymore. And those were cut off by the government. So when those programs that existed for the general working population were being taken advantage by lenders forcing consumers into these programs that they shouldn't belong in, then we started to see the unraveling. Yeah. The government said no more of that. Now we start fresh. And now they're loosening up a little bit so that regular people can go back to getting loans. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's as simple as just subprime lending. It also was hyperinflated values. 
to buy a property at that time, you needed to offer twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars over list price in Lincoln Park, Lakeview, Bucktown. It was just part of the process. Mm -hmm. So to to get a property, you had to overinflate the market. So the market continued to overinflate. So you need bigger loans that can't be backed up for higher prices that shouldn't be there. Stretch Armstrong would show up, it would appraise, and that would be the end of the process. So the wow. checks and balances in place weren't there to protect the consumer. And you have to decide, do you sit on the side of the fence that says the government's going to protect you or you're going to protect yourself? You have mm. to make that decision. That's yeah. a political choice that I don't think this podcast is meant for. But if you decide that, that the government was supposed to protect you and it, it should have stopped all of this, they failed you. If you decide that the banks failed and greed won, that also failed. Greed didn't win here. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I mean, there's, a, there's always a debate on whether government should be more involved or, or less. And, yeah. uh, you know, it really depends on what side of the table you're sitting on for, for whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's some, you know, politics we can go all day, <laughs> but, um, and stretch Armstrong, if you're there, I still know who you are. Mm, not a threat. No. Mm -mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a scary thing because, Everybody wants that money. Everybody yeah. wants it to be good for them now. Yeah. And they don't think about what's going to happen five years from now or 10 years from now. And uh, th there is that, that, you know, instant gratification type of thing that drives you. So you don't really care and you'll, you'll be blind to a problem. Um, so do you think that we're maybe doing something similar to that right now? Do you see anything that might indicate that? Because there's a lot of people on both sides of the fence that say that it could just keep going. The market's going to be great. Don't worry about it. Look over here. Yeah. Um, or it, or is it really good? I mean, what what are you thinking based on what experience you the have? The market has been relatively stable and balanced. So if we look at the data points and we talk about how the market has been moving and how it's been shifting, we can comfortably say that it's been, it's been in a general upward swing and it's been relatively balanced based on weather. Now, the Chicago market is very weather-based. So most markets would say, yeah, we break in the spring. For us, the spring means when the weather changes. And this year, that was April. Yeah. So we may not see that market shift until April. We can't say that it's after the Super Bowl. That's not a thing. Um, the, the market this year broke in April. It continued through about August, September-ish. And now it's balanced all over again. We're at the the exact level of month supply of inventory and absorption rate of where we need to be in a traditionally balanced market. And that's appropriate. We're at about a four and a half month supply of inventory. So month supply of inventory is a national indicator of how much inventory is actually in the marketplace. Yeah. And it takes into account demand and people actually physically looking at property. Those numbers should be at about a six, six month supply. Four and a half is just underbalanced. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a, it's a healthy thing. Then. Healthy. We're healthy right now. That's good to hear. We're healthy. Yeah. And we're we're not seeing major appraisal issues like we used to in 7, 8, and 9. But we're, we're starting to see appraisers be a little more specific in how they're looking at houses and how they're valuing comparables. So we're keeping the... The, the the control is a little more controlled, so to speak. So maybe we, we learn from our mistakes a little bit, you think? You, you hope. Okay. You hope. 
well, cross our fingers. Yeah, we hope. For everybody. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, okay. Well, fair enough. I'll take your word for it because I, I don't know anything. And that's what I'm it is. In, guy. That's what it is in my market, right? Yeah. So nationally, I can't say that for every specific market, but in my market, the suburbs of Chicago, that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Well, that, it's it sounds good. I mean, I can see your chart there, and it looks yeah. like it's a, it's a, it's a, like a step. So Six stairs. Case Schiller is um, a national way of looking at the home price indices. And what we can see is, you know, the, the, the index was 280 points in 2007. And then we saw a significant downswing until January of 11. Um, and now January of 19, from roughly January 2011, we were at about 110 points. We're now at about 135 points in Chicago. So it's a pretty level motion. It's not dramatic. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and, Nerdy. Uh, Nerding out. No, that's great because, you know, there's people out there, real estate agents that know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. People that are in school studying economics or whatever. Yeah, you know, sure. This this is helpful. There's an audience for everything. Um, I wanted to switch audiences right now for people that maybe are thinking about um, the future or what they're doing, you know, in real estate because just like anything – there's a new generation of people that have been in the business since it's been good. Yeah. And they haven't seen, you know, the collapse and what can actually happen, um, which is great. But, you know, there has to be some sort of escape plan, you know, uh, something to, you know, survive if something were to happen again, because you never know. Um, What would you suggest a a greener agent can do now to protect themselves from catastrophe later on? So, If you're a new agent getting into the market, I always recommend at least three months of reserves to support yourself and an additional three months of reserves to support your own business because you're a business owner as a realtor. You're not just a person with a 1099 working at a brokerage. I run a business. My business happens to run inside of App Properties, but I run a business. And having those reserves to support your company is important. Now, real estate, the overhead is much less than a restaurant, for example. but the, the cost of running a business, paper is an expense, printing is an expense, signage is an expense, professional photos are an expense. All of these things are expenses that right. you need to be prepared for. Um, I find, or something that I think is really important in a down market, spending more on marketing. Most people spend more on marketing in a, in a up market right. because they have more cash flow. Yep. And I completely disagree with that analogy. I think you spend more on marketing in a down market so mm-hmm. that... You can improve in in an upper market your more brand awareness. Right. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a new agent and you're just starting out and you don't have any deals yet, don't worry. You they will come. You have to know what you're talking about. Learn the market. Study the market. Go to open houses. Learn about what makes something sell. Go see a broker's open tour and see what it closes for and determine if you were at relatively accurate in how that moved. Yeah. Um, study the market. Know what you're talking about. If a buyer comes to you and says, well, this house sold for X and you weren't inside it, inside that house, you can't articulate why it sold for a particular dollar amount. You have to know the inventory. You have to know the market and you have to be prepared for a market shifting up and a market shifting down. Real estate is no longer real estate. It's more like the stock market. It shifts on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. It's it's not a 30-year decision for most people anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. 
it's interesting how um, something that people kind of feel like has always been there and always will be there, which yeah. it will be. The yeah. actual property is only, you know, there's only so many acres. Um, but, you know, the, the way that it's sold and the business behind it um, can be approached in so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, you were talking when we were talking on the phone uh, about how you have a, a, you're shaking up kind of the way that you're approaching advertising. Yeah. And uh, the strategy that you're taking is uh, buyer mm-hmm. first. Yeah. Which is interesting because, it, you know, when you explain it, it makes perfect sense. Right? <laughs> Thanks. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's not something that people do. Can you explain that to the audience what that means by advertising buyers? Sure. So history in real estate, since we've been measuring real estate in the early 1900s, we've always marketed listings. We've always talked about product that's available for sale. We've never marketed the consumer. And I think that there's a huge hole in the market where there's a, a buyer pool that needs to be matched with a property, but they can't find what they want. So I think there's an incredible opportunity to take buyer A, couple A, and buyer B, and market them as potential buyers for a property that's not yet marketed. A great example of that might be, um, uh, let's use the initials R&J. R&J is, um, they they are uh, a couple with three kids that live in a particular school district, and they want a four-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath colonial in that same school district. What's out there right now in the pocket market in the public market, it doesn't exist for them. So how do I recreate that? Well, I could knock on every door in the neighborhood or I could market them like I would a listing. I would market them as buyers, put them on social media, send out postcards about them. Um, there's, There's a way to market the consumer as a potential buyer for the house. And someone might be considering selling and they may call me and say, I was thinking about selling. It looks like you have a buyer that matches. Let's get them in to see the property. Yeah. Then it becomes a traditional transaction. But I believe that there's an opportunity to change how real estate has been done. I think that it's been practiced roughly the same way for so many years mm-hmm. that there's there's a way to make it better. Yeah. I believe in making it always better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean... Thad Wong, um, who I adore and is probably one of the most brilliant marketing minds of our time in my opinion, hands down. He said uh, several years ago that if it's not broken, break it and make it better. That is his exact quote. And I believe that. I love it, yeah. I believe that. Break it and make it better. Because just because it's working now doesn't mean it's going to work in five years. Yeah, yeah. It's always changing. And, you know, getting the edge is not doing what everybody else is doing. I mean, Always think different. Yeah. I mean, Steve Jobs said it, right? Yeah, do something different. If you're the same as everyone else... What makes you hireable? Why would someone want to work with you? You're just right. the same. Yeah. Yeah. And that's funny. Uh, I bring up Steve Jobs and everybody has the same phone. Oh. Everybody's the same. Now. <laughs> it always comes yeah. back around. Um, so, you know, buyer first. Okay. So, you, I mean, you, what you're doing is you, you're, you're turning it on its end. You're, you're just, you know, re- you're shuffling the deck a little bit. You're shaking it up. Yeah. So you can, you can say, okay, hey, you want to sell this? I have... All these people lined up, right? You know, uh, in my in my stable of connections. Sure. So, why wouldn't you go with that? It's it seems if you are saying that to somebody that's trying to sell, and you are just basically telling them, "Hey, I have all these people that want to buy." 
Yeah. What are you doing? You're just basically making a connection. Right. Yeah. So, so the old idea of real estate agents was to get the listing, get the listing, go get the listing. Your name's on a sign. Go get the right. listing. Take a bunch of pictures and just throw them throw out there. Throw it out there. Hope it sells. Hope it sells. Yeah. I don't believe in that. I don't think that that's productive. Makes so perfect sense. Yeah. You might see that I carry half the listings of some of the other brokers in town. And I am 100% fine with that for two yeah. reasons. One, each of my clients gets a little more attention. And two, I don't work just one side of the transaction. Yeah. I think it's important that you also represent buyers because if you're not in the inventory, you don't know what you're talking about. You just don't, it's not possible. Yeah, that's uh, it's a no brainer it seems, but nobody does it. They don't, you, you typically have in a, in a group setting of realtors or a team, so to speak, you would have a listing agent, a buyer's agent and some customer service reps and some advertising people. That's sort right. of how most teams are set up. I don't run that way. I don't think it's my responsibility just to do the listings. I yeah. think that that's unfair to my sellers. How will I possibly know what buyers are saying inside of a property if I'm not physically there? It's, yeah. it's half the job. Yeah, you're 100% right. Thank you. I, uh, I am right. You are. You are. <laughs> it shows because you are, you know. Yeah. You just have to be different. Mm -hmm. And I think... I think um, for you, for example, you don't do this podcast for money. You do these podcasts because you get something out of it. You get enjoyment out of it. Maybe there's something for your soul. Maybe you like meeting new people. For whatever the reason is, you do it for something other than money. Sure. And I think for me, for real estate, it's more than just, okay, I sold a house. There's a happiness quotient to that. And what is that worth to the consumer? My job is to give them the nerd side of it. And their yeah. smile at the end is, is valuable to me. Mm -hmm. But their smile at the end is valuable because they've made a good quality decision for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's honest work. Yeah. It's honest it's all, sales. It's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's helping somebody buy. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm a nerd. I'll give you all my nerd <laughs> information. I love that. And, um, so, okay. Let's switch gears. Sure. We covered some really good stuff and, um, you know, it's safe to say that anybody that uh, is trying to accomplish anything, it's it's great to surround yourself with people that have done it well. Yeah. So if there's an agent that is trying to get into, you know, uh, some sort of success doing what you're doing, uh, I'm sure they would probably come to you and want to work for you. Sometimes, yeah. If they don't, then they probably should. <laughs> but um, what is your management style? I know everybody kind of is, uh, you know, their own boss with this to yeah. an extent. Yeah. But you have to motivate. You have a business to run. Sure. So what is what? How do you describe your management style? I'm pretty training focused and hands off. Okay. I believe that the people that I work with, um, they benefit from training. And how they take the information and use it in their personality and their business is going to propel them to the next level. Yeah. Of the people that I work with on our team, they're all very different personalities. Yeah. There's no two people on our team that are the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that the variety of personality absorbs information differently. I was just talking about this earlier. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Almost word for word. That's creepy and awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think that... Uh, Everyone needs the same information and what pieces they take from it mm -hmm. are how they decide to put it in their business. So real estate is very much a B2C sale. It is very consumer driven. Yeah. So 
my personality may not match with every consumer out there and I'm okay with that. Not everybody likes me. I'm fine with that. Right. So, but no, maybe Noelle on my team, people who meet Noelle who adore her because she's very gentle and very kind Mm -hmm. and very, very patient. I am not someone that people would describe as patient, but (laughs) Noelle is. So maybe she's a spectacular match for you. Um, the other Holly on our team is very business-minded and, and very math-focused like me, but she's also very gentle. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people love her for that reason. You know, there's there's so many variety of personalities on our team. And, and I think um, to, to answer the management style question, I think the best salespeople are the people that can give the client the information. So as my job to help them be better at their job, I think if I give them the information, they can take it and decide what to do with it. Now, there's another uh, school of thought on that. You can give people information, but if they don't like you, they're not going to buy, whether it's good or not. Well, you're asking me about employees. You're not necessarily asking me about consumers, right? Okay. So from an employee perspective, if they don't like my information, there's no reason for them to work with me. For an employee. Yeah, gotcha. why would they? Okay. Yeah. And and I don't we don't really call them employees. We're kind of all just a team. We really do scratch each other's backs. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um I mean like what I was talking about before, that you pretty much mirrored. Uh it's like your style, even if you have all the technique and all the skill and you're really good at what you do. Your style won't work for somebody that's got a different personality. Right. A lot of times with managers and any type of sales position, um, they don't necessarily know how to um, look at somebody's differences or communicate it in a way that's going to be effective for that particular person. Sure. A lot of people actually think that, okay, my way is the right way, so you have to do it my way or you're not doing it right. They get frustrated. Yeah. I so it's complicated because I do have a lot of right ways of doing things. <laughs> That's what <laughs> like happens. I do. I do have a lot of the right A-type ways of doing personality things. Personality is always. I do. Uh, in fairness, I do have some control issues, um, but I think that I've learned from my mistakes, and yeah. so take from my mistakes and learn what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of why a team <clears throat> can work together well, but. The world is always changing. It's very fast. It's moving in different directions. So there is opportunity for new learning and new mistakes in adjusting how we do things. Just because we walk with uh, our right foot forward doesn't mean it's time to change to our left. Yeah. Yeah. I it's uh, I don't have a I don't have a better answer for that other no, than a cheesy analogy. No, it's fine. It, it's uh, it's like you know, there's just so many things to talk about with this. It's such an interesting subject. I mean. I get to talk to people of all different walks. That's yeah. why I'm doing this. I'm in marketing. I do, you know, work for all different types of people. Yeah. So I hear these stories from people on the phone when I'm working with people. I get to connect and all that stuff with people, but nobody gets to hear those conversations. So that's what this yeah. podcast is. Yeah. So I like to talk about the style that you have, what makes you tick, your thought process, marketing. Sure. All that type of stuff is so interesting to me. I would assume that the people that are actually watching this, it's interesting to them too. So um, marketing, you know, I know that you uh, are in total agreement with me that you market when it's slow. Yeah. More. Yeah. You know, spend more money when you need more money. Right. 
you know, uh, that's, it takes money to make money. Sure. So what are some of the things that you've done that you thought were going to be slam dunks that just didn't, didn't do it and you blew a bunch of money that oh, you shouldn't have done? Oh, I've blown, I've blown a lot of money. Um, <laughs> it's really embarrassing. Uh, well, we've done a lot of things that I think uh, have not given us net return or measurable return. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing with marketing is consistency more than anything else. Yeah. So if you try something once and it doesn't work, yeah, you have to figure out why it didn't work. Right. And maybe you need to do it two or three more times to make it work. Yeah. Um, the biggest financial failure I think that I've had in the last five years from a marketing perspective would likely be partnering with someone whose ideas of community were not the same as mine. And so we got co-branded with this company that just doesn't share the idea of community. Um, and that was, that was tough to crawl back out of. I think now we've partnered with a lot of really great companies that, um, we work well with. So if you're green and new and starting out, find a way to partner with somebody, find a way to co-brand that is going to be successful. Um, we have a lot of partnerships with local restaurants and um, mortgage brokers and attorneys and bars. Um, we sponsor a lot of 5Ks, and these are all different things that we believe in. Yeah, we don't we don't do any kid events unless they're related to health and fitness. That's just a rule that we practice. Why? Um, I believe that kids need activities outside of school, and it doesn't have to be athletics. It could be it could be anything. Um, outside of that, it could be chess club, it could be art club, it could be anything. But I believe that if you're supporting the kids in the community, then you're supporting the community. I, I really truly believe that. So um, yeah. we partner doing a lot of those sorts of things. Um, bars and restaurants don't necessarily appeal to children, but often we find that adults go to bars. Yeah, they frequent hopefully them more than children. Every now and again. So, you know, we we do things like that because it's a part of the community. Like on Thursday night football, we sponsor at a local bar Thursday night football. Yeah. So if you go there on Thursday night, our logo is out and we sponsor it. And how that helps is it supports the local bar so they have more income so they can have more events. And Mm -hmm. it just becomes full circle. Yeah. I've seen your coasters at reps. Yeah. We have we have uh, coasters all at lots of places and reps. The reps ones are funny. You can uh, could see Mike's Bitmoji on those coasters. I saw that. <laughs> I left at it when I saw it. I think I have one at home, actually. You should keep it. Frame yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, with marketing, it's it's uh, just exposure. Yeah. Repetition. Yeah. I mean, um, McDonald's still does advertising and everybody knows who they are. Totally. You know? Totally. If you, you know, they do it because when you ring the bell over and over and over it's there that's what happens yeah well the coke idea if you remember coca-cola had names on the coca-cola bottles share mm -hmm. a coke with so-and-so sure it it cost them a lot of money to make all of those labels and to come up with thousands of names and put them all over the country but how badly did you want to find a coke with your name on it yeah and take a picture with it how cool was that Mm -hmm. so in the era of social media Taking a picture with it f- makes a free advertisement mm-hmm. for the Coke. It's brilliant. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, I think that anybody that's ever studied any type of advertising. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the oldest masters of it. Uh, so you've done a lot of things. Uh, 
it's safe to say, yeah, you, you do advertising, marketing, you know, all different uh, forms. What are some of the top forms that you've found biggest ROI on? For me, brand awareness. So I go old fashioned grassroots. I think grassroots really helps. Um, I do 8,000 postcards every month for the last six years to every household in mm. my entire town. Um, we do them now in this town. We do them everywhere. And and I think that it takes about a year and a half to two years to see that return. But our postcards are not um, selling us. Our postcards are about what's happening in the community. They're football schedules okay. for the high school. They're um, our summer postcard, our one that we send out at the end of May. We get phone calls from people that beg for that postcard. Can they please get a PDF of it? Because it's all the events that are local, what bands are playing where, when, who's having a special event. It's a summer calendar of free events. Yeah. And that one, people beg for that every year. Useful. It's It takes us six months to put together because we are waiting for all these organizations to come back to us with what's going on. Right. But people beg us for that. Um, I don't believe in, in sending out information that's directly about selling us. I think if we're talking about the community, we become an advocate for the community. We become your local resource. Do you, do you take money on both sides and actually charge people to be on your calendar? No. No? No. No, we don't. Maybe we should. That's a really good idea. I didn't think about that. But we don't charge people to be on our yeah. calendar. Like the park district events, we don't charge the park district to be on our calendar. Um, mm -hmm. We don't charge the Chamber of Commerce for the events that they put together. Um, the race course, we don't charge. I mean, there's so many different venues that we don't ask them for any money. We just yeah. put them on because they're fun things to go to. Right. Well, I mean, it serves a purpose. And, you know, the, what you're trying to do is provide something that will actually right. not go in the garbage. Sure. And so now we get phone calls from companies that say, can we please be on your postcard? We have this going on. Yeah, we well, want to yeah. be here. Can can we do this? And we are happy to take your information. If it fits, you're in. It's not a, we're not charging for anything. We don't, yeah. we're not trying to make money at this. We believe, I believe firmly that if you're a resource to the consumer, they will come and find you. Mm -hmm. And, and our phone rings because we're a resource. You need a plumber? I got a guy. You need a roofer? I got a guy. You want to know where kids eat free on Tuesday? Call me. We have a list. Go to our website. It's there. I mean, just find us. Well, we have Mi stuff. Mich Michelin stars is a good example. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, that's. Yeah, it's a great example. Yeah. So, you know, go and do it. Yeah, we just do it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I love that. And, you know, I would definitely, I would probably charge for it. But. <laughs> I'll hey. keep that in mind. Yeah, but uh, we do charge our our partners to support our client party, which is very cool every year. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if you're selling all the all the how many millions? Uh, this year we'll do about seventy seventy five million. That's it. That's it. All right. Yeah. Well, you'll have to you got to break a hundred if you're going to be on this show. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> But uh, that's that's it's great stuff. You, we've done forty five minutes already, and I feel like oh, there's wow, a million. Yeah, there's a million other things that we could talk about. Uh, and your I'll, phone's blowing up. You it got lots does. of people to this, talk to. This thing never stops. Uh, but I want to leave with a couple other things. So, sure. Let's see. So the main thing that I wanted to ask you at the end, I wanted to. Uh, I think we touched on this really 
really briefly, what do you think about real estate gurus online that have the secrets for success? There's no secrets in real estate. It's that simple. Short answer. There's no secrets in real estate. Anyone who tells you the secret to real estate is this, they're full of it. There's yeah. no such thing. Real estate is so open book. Every piece of information you could ever possibly imagine is online. You don't, there's no, there's no such thing. There's no secrets. You yeah. either know what you're talking about or you don't. And if somebody's charging you for information in that way, they're not your friend. Yeah. They don't, you don't need their information. Find right. it elsewhere. Right. Now, what's the, what's the best way to find that information? I mean, I, I know the reflexes probably call me, but. Yeah. No, not always. I mean, you, you can call any local broker, any local realtor who's done maybe 30 deals in their last 10 years, they'll be able to tell you what's going on. They'll be able to tell you what's happening. They'll, they'll have some pulse on the market. And if you're not happy with that answer, find another broker. Now, should you shop around for brokers? 100% yes. I think everybody should meet with multiple brokers. Get second, third, and fourth opinions? It's Real estate is a lot like um, seeing a doctor. If you go to one doctor and they say you have disease A, you're going to go see another doctor to yeah. decide if that's true. Before they start cutting. Yeah, if, right. right. <laughs> if, you, if you meet with a realtor and the realtor says the price is X, yeah. that's one broker's opinion. That's just one person's opinion. Right. If you meet with five brokers, you will get five different pricing opinions. And you don't know anybody's intention, really. No. So in our industry, we have something that we call buy the listing. So if you're meeting with a broker to hire for sale, you might find that three brokers will tell you the price is a million dollars and two brokers might tell you 850. Are the two brokers trying to make a fast sale or is the math actually there? And that's why when we meet with sellers, we give them the math. We think that's important. So what, what would be on your mind if somebody gave you that 850 price? When five other people gave you a million. Yeah. I, what you would know, you be thinking if that happened? You're trying to undersell me. That would be my initial reaction. But if you if you look at the math and you look at the comparables and you look at what the demand looks like and you think about the time of year and the weather and all the other moving parts in real estate, you'll get a sense of what the reality is. But what would be the motivation to sell, sell it for less? Oh, I think you're looking at it backwards. Okay. I don't think the realtor is trying to sell it for less. I think the realtor who's coming in um, maybe in the middle or at that eight or 900 mark is likely using math and science. The realtors that are selling oh, okay, at a gotcha. million yeah. are, what, are doing what's called buy the listing. So they're telling the seller, of course I can sell it for a million and they're okay. buying it for a million. They're saying they can do it. And then two weeks later, they're asking for a price reduction. Hmm. So I often don't get hired on the first shot because I'm often in reality. Yeah. And six weeks later, the phone rings. We made a mistake. Will you take the listing? Will you sell it now? Now we know where we need to be. Of course you do, but you're also six weeks later. So now you're chasing the market. So now you have to be even lower than what I told you before because now you have marketing time. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, there's, it's so different. Um, it's, it's familiar, but so different because there's so many different angles to your sale. Yeah. Yeah. You know, different perspectives. From, there's so many different people involved. Yeah. You know, so it's like when you're telling me these numbers, I'm thinking it, you know, the, it's totally. Right. It's confusing. It's very confusing. Yeah. And, and that's why this business that my team and I have built has been successful because we 
try to break it down and make it less confusing so that you can make the best decision for you. Yeah. If I tell you month supply of inventory is on the incline and it's going to get to seven, eight, nine months supply of inventory, that means to you there's more inventory than buyers. So you have to price with that in mind. Yeah. I could market a ketchup popsicle until I'm purple. It won't matter if the ketchup popsicle isn't priced right. Yeah. Won't matter. No one would buy it. Not anymore. Everything's online. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the the Supremes of the world where it's uh, just a scarcity thing. Uh, and, you know, that's another thing to talk about. But I don't know. It's just it's a crazy thing. Um, yeah. I guess if you can sell something based in reality, that's always best. Chasing the market is something in real estate we also talk about. And so if we see what with buyers, so I'll talk about it from the other side. If a buyer sees a listing that's been on the market for six months with not a lot of price movement, maybe five, ten thousand dollars $10,000, that buyer is going to look at that listing and say, that seller's not motivated. I'm not even going to go look at it because I can't even negotiate where I want to be. Hmm. Today's consumer is not negotiating as hard as they were negotiating for even two years ago. Why is that? I think the consumer market is just not interested in spending time on properties where the numbers don't make sense. They already know before they go in. We have 3D virtual tours. We have photos. We have floor plans. You can pretty much virtually visit the house now before you physically cross the threshold. So here's a, and there's so many pieces to this, but we can measure online showings versus threshold showings. We can measure how many online views we have versus how many people that actually cross the threshold. And those two numbers need to be in balance based on the price point. So if those numbers are out of balance, we know where the consumer is. They're not looking at the house because we're too high. Yeah. We know they're getting through the photos. The marketing is there. The SEO is there. They're seeing the listing, but they're not physically crossing the threshold because it's too high. Yeah, it's already done in their head. Yeah. It's a huge dynamic shift uh, of how how things are done uh, than how it used to be. You know, it's almost like, uh, what do you think happens when AI does it better? Oh, we already use AI. Right. I mean, we already know. Is there always going to be the need for an in-person broker? Yes, because the minutiae detail of the market you need a human to be able to articulate for you what's actually happening. There's no website that's going to be able to tell you this block is not part of FEMA's flood map, but it floods. Something you should know. Hmm. The power goes out on this block about three times a year. No one's going to tell you that. No salesperson is going to tell you that. That's not a piece of information you're going to find online. It's something that a broker is going to be able to tell you. It's something that's important that the broker can say or explain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, there's the AI thing with all these types of things, especially when there's so many moving parts like, uh, legal mm-hmm. and, um, you know, anything with the market is markets almost entirely done by computers now. I sure. Mean, almost everything. Um, so, you know, even with what I do with, with, uh, you know, pricing ads and doing web design and all that type of stuff, it's, uh, it's on yeah. its way out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know. What do you think is going to happen in 10 years? How is your job going to be much different? Oh, um, I think about that a lot, actually. How do we need to shift and change so that we're ready for the next six months, right. year, five years, 10 years? 
I think that AI is going to play a big role in knowing how buyers are using the internet to find their properties. But what's happening in the market right now, specifically in my market, is realtors are taking the listings back. So no longer broadcasting them out loud on major yeah. networks. We're now using private networks to market the listings to other brokers before we market them to the general consumer population. Yeah. So if you want some of the good stuff, you have to partner with a quality broker who right. knows where the good stuff is before it comes on. Yeah. So my team, we use a lot of AI to figure out who's getting ready to sell before they know. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. We know before they do. Well, Google can tell you where you're going to be six months from now with like 99% accuracy. Okay. Like exactly. Yeah. At a time. Yeah. And it's true. And you can see it. It's creepy it's and awesome. It's insane. Yeah. It's awesome if you're okay with that. Yeah. I and mean, if you have a phone, you have to be okay with it. You yeah. don't have a lot of choices there. Right. They're so, listening to us right now. They should be. Not just through these. <laughs> I think... Using the AI as the salesperson is helpful so I know what's happening. But for the consumer, it's also helpful because we can forecast what you're going to want. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's scary. It's, it's, but it's awesome. I mean, uh, it's going to hopefully make your job easier but make the process more transparent because it'll be across the board. There's a lot less room for screwing people around. There's not a lot of room for error anymore. Yeah, it, there just isn't. Now you could take a broker's word for it and just say, "Yeah, the property's worth X," but no consumer's going to do that. They're going to do a little bit of their own research. They're going to take the research that we've provided. They're going to look at the information and make a good decision. I love it. Listen, <laughs> we, we've gone we've gone over an hour now. Sorry, it's it's awesome. I can keep I can going. On purple. I can keep going, but uh, you know, I'm going to have to have you back on. Sure. Um, you know, there's there's many other parts to this whole thing that you're doing that we haven't even scratched the surface of. So um, I'll have to get back with you. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thanks a lot for coming. Sure. Yeah. We'll be talking about again soon. Okay.